Nyala Kadich, Wajuk Nyunga Mort, Kayan Karak, Nija Wajuk Nyunga Buja. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast has been recorded on the Wajuk Nyungar lands of Burlu, otherwise known as Perth. Well-being as we know it now has been constructed from a Western perspective, but what happens when we go back to the methods of well-being from the oldest continuing culture in the world? Welcome to Nyungar Wellbeing. I'm your host, Brooke Collard. I'm a Baladong Wajuk Nyungar woman with personal family ties to a lot of our interviewees. In Nyungar Wellbeing, I will be speaking to elders in the Nyungar community about a First Nations perspective on self and community care. One way of healing doesn't work for everyone, so that's why we are going to explore six ways from the lens of Nyungar elders. They will guide you on creating the tools for yourself and others on the path to self and community care. So make a cup of tea and listen to these Nens and Pops yarn about Nyungar wellbeing. In our final episode of Nyungar Wellbeing, we yarn with Dot West. Dot West has worked in media since 1987, starting in radio and now predominantly as a screenwriter. She is a huge advocate for No Stories About Us Without Us, centering around uplifting First Nations voices in media. Thank you so much for doing this with me again, <laughs> after we had a bit of a human error on my end for the last episode. Speaking to the magnificent Dot West today. So. I don't know about magnificent. <laughs> I don't know, you should ask a few people that, they'll probably say the same thing. <laughs> I just wanted to talk to you today on Nyungar wellbeing about art, but more specifically with your practice, you create art in writing. I guess I'd like to start by asking you about with your writing. How do you think that benefits your well-being? My writing benefits my well-being because I suppose it's being able to get thoughts, ideas, words out. It just helps me to release what's inside. I've used writing as a mechanism to gain employment gain work, but also, you know, in terms of being able to help tell stories. The other way I've used writing is if I'm, you know, feeling like I'm in a dark space, if I'm feeling down, I use it to, I suppose, help me get out of it. So it's about releasing that bad energy onto the page and getting rid of those thoughts and those ideas. Yeah, and I found that really beautiful when we spoke about that last time as well because I realised that's something we also have in common because usually when I was in a dark space as well and I didn't quite know how to articulate myself and why I was feeling that way, I found writing poetry really helped. It reminds me of a leadership course I did where they talk about that when you're in a bad situation, you're in the dance floor, so you can't have 20-20 vision, you're not on the balcony to view everything from above, you're in amongst everything, and I find writing and art forms help put you on that balcony to provide some perspective of what's going on. Yeah, I suppose I use the analogy of using my writing to find the light. So if I'm depressed, if I'm in a dark spot in my life, I use writing to be able to then be able to go out 
out into the light. Yeah, and I think that's really important, isn't it? Because so many people really get stuck in cycles thinking they can't get out of that darkness. And I feel like a lot of people really undervalue the importance of art in general for helping mental health and bringing people into that light, like you're saying. So I guess another big part of that is specifically with your art practice with writing. It is a big responsibility because a lot of what you do is representing people but also it is really important. Our voices are represented by our people. So for yourself, how do you feel like representing, you know, First Nations people, also a Noongar voice as well, has helped you with viewing First Nations people on screen, but also you being able to be a part of representing your own mob on screen? I feel really proud of being able to participate, being able to be a part of bringing our stories to screen, whether that be as, you know, doing my own story or whether it's supporting others to tell their story. I think it's a real privilege in being able to do that and also very powerful, not powerful just for myself, but it's powerful for our people in being able to see our stories and being able to connect to those stories as them being ours. Yeah, and especially seeing, you know, the small nuances as well, because, you know, I feel like a lot of the time when First Nations characters are written by non-First Nations writers, you can really tell and it's because they don't get those small characteristics. I feel like they stereotype a lot where they do the very, like, serious, stoic, you know, native person, but I feel like we're quite cheeky, really, and that's something that doesn't come through a lot unless, you know, a First Nations person's actually written it. Yeah, as a First Nations writer, it's about drawing upon your own lived experience, but also of being within that lived experience. Certainly you can judge when a character is being written by a non-Indigenous person, absolutely. But also, at the same time, I feel that in order to bring authenticity to the story and authenticity to the characters, there does need to be a First Nations person in the room, on the page, helping to write that content. Yeah, absolutely. And. I feel like a lot of your amazing advocacy comes from, you know, how far along you've come in storytelling. So you didn't necessarily start in writing, but would you say you stumbled across it? Yeah, maybe I stumbled back to it, really, because when I was very young, when I was in high school, I actually wrote some poetry. And then my first job in media was what was I, about 16, I think, and I was working for Aboriginal Publications Foundation. That organisation produced a monthly newspaper and a quarterly glossy magazine, which was distributed nationally and internationally. It was pretty amazing for the time. We're talking 75, 76. That's when I was first involved in writing. I was actually Auntie Dot for the children's page mm. of the magazine. And then I went and tried other things like how to be an accountant. Mm. <laughs> so I studied that for a while. And later on, I got involved in radio 
purely by accident. I suppose you could call stumbling. What ended up happening was Wayne Binder asked me to come and help him operate the radio equipment while he went to air. And I was like, yeah, don't think I can do that. I can't even put my stereo together. No, it's all right. Just come and try it. So I went into the studio and got a half hour lesson on how to operate the equipment. And this was in the analog days. So how to queue up a record, how to queue up a cassette, (laughs) playing carts and playing reel to reels. I did that and then later I volunteered for him in radio and it was there that I started to put pen back to paper in writing scripts for radio. Yeah, I can imagine how stressful that would be because I did sound study at Murdoch and had to work out how to cue a CD and things like that if you had to, so I can't imagine the stress after only getting a half an hour lesson. Hey look, queuing CDs is easy. Trying to cue a cassette is the difficult one. Really hard, but you know, managed to do it. Yeah, no, I couldn't do that, so yeah, admiration for you there. Yeah, it's amazing though, because after that you've had this pretty amazing career in screenwriting specifically, and especially you've been writing on Little J and Big Cubs a lot, and that's pretty amazing. You're telling me that there's toys now available? Yeah, there's little fluffy toys of Little J, Big Cubs, and Old Dog, which is amazing. I'd only just got given my my own set, so that's really special. But yeah, writing for Little Jane Big Cuz has been wonderful. It's wonderful being able to go into a little kid's world and write for that target group. You know, we're talking about writing content for like a four to six year old group of kids. I get a lot of inspiration from my grandkids in being able to do that. But certainly, before I got back into writing, I spent quite a number of years, I suppose, facilitating writing for other people or managing for other creatives. It wasn't until I did my Bachelor of Arts in Media Studies and in my last year of my degree course that I thought, now I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a writer. So in my last year of the course, I did all my units in writing. I was actually one unit short from majoring in writing. Wow. I didn't realise it at the time, but it was later that I discovered that I was, yeah, one unit short. I find it really interesting how you're saying that you've got to put yourself in the perspective of a four to six year old. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't realise writing is where people watches and also kind of psychologists in our own way because you've got to put yourself in the shoes of each character that you're writing. So do you find when you're writing all these different kinds of characters, does it help you, I guess, understand people around you a lot more or is like that self-expression for yourself as well? Yeah, absolutely. You need to have some depth in being able to understand the people around you and also go into your own imaginative state, you know, a little bit like being a fly on the wall, just checking people out around you and going, now I wonder why they did that. And then you start to, you know, imagine their motivation 
what their motivation is. I often like to sit in a busy mall or a busy part of town and just watch and let my imagination go because that's a great way of being able to create new characters and new story ideas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I find a lot of inspiration for a lot of my stories as well as just sitting around a fire with your family and just all the stories that come out. They're just so full of yarns that you're like, I need to get other people in on this because it's hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. It's getting inspiration from those people around you, from your family, from the yarns that they tell, from your own lived experience and the memories. You know, a bit of my little Jane because writing comes from my lived experiences as a kid, some of the stuff that I did as a kid. And then the trick is trying to bring the stuff that happened to me as a kid, which was quite a few years ago, to contemporary Australia now and how you could continue to make it fresh. Yeah, like I loved when you screened the, I think it was like the Bowerbird episode that you wrote. That was so interesting. It does put you in that childlike world straight away. So I guess watching these children's shows, you forget that it's all these adults writing it because you're so immersed in their world. Yeah, I guess as well, because you know, we've just had things like Mystery Road, the season three just come out, True Colours as well. And they're all heavy First Nations content and then they're also backed by quite a few key creators. How do you think that impacts the storytelling by being fronted by First Nations people? Oh, it just makes the story just so much richer. It just gives that realness to it, gives that authenticity to the story and the world. Yeah, you can sit back and watch certain movies or programs where you know there hasn't been a lot of First Nations influence and you go, yeah, nah, they wouldn't do that or yeah, nah, they wouldn't say that. Whereas watching content that is fronted by our First Nations creatives just gives that realness and gives that deep richness in the story and the multi-layered richness within it. Mm, and I think that's so important what you said because I mentioned this last time as well and we always yarn about it with the Glory Writers Group and just when we get together as creatives as well is we're constantly approached by people who are wanting to tell our stories because they are so rich and you know people are hungry for them right now as well. It's something where we need to be involved from the concept phase, not brought in after an entire script has been done and they've already gotten funding and last minute they're like, oh, hang on, I need to get an Indigenous person here. It's so important that our voices are at the forefront from the very beginning because like you said, it creates that richness to the world that they won't have otherwise. So, you know, we've come a long way from films like Jeddah. I think that was like the first big film that had representation of First Nations people at all. And you watch that now and it's quite confronting because you can tell it wasn't written by First Nations people. But then, you know, we've come so far to what we have on our screens now. Yeah, we have come a long way in terms of being able to tell our stories. But it's also important that we're involved in the story from the very beginning. Because otherwise, you know, if you bring people in later on, 
there could be a whole lot of untangling that needs to occur to the story. So there does need to be First Nations people involved, whether that be people that are advising with the story from the outset from a cultural perspective, or whether that be a scriptwriter being involved in the story with others. And we do say, don't do any stories without us. If they're about us, they shouldn't be without us. So it's vital that we're involved in it. Otherwise, you could just have misrepresentation. You could have a whole mess that you've then got to untangle in order for it to be screened. Or you just have egg on your face when it is screened because it's wrong. Yeah, that's it. Because the only representation I can think of when I was younger growing up is watching Lockie Leonard and seeing Clarence Ryan in there as egg. So, you know, especially being older and then meeting him later in life, it was like a child dream to be like, oh my gosh, here's someone I watched that kind of represented, you know, me and my family. But yeah, it's a huge thing because there's so many more people now, even especially the last five years, there's been so many more First Nations creators pop up in the writing space and film space as well. And I guess you've had a really amazing hand in uplifting those people as well, especially in programs like the Galari Writers Group that we have up here. So. Yeah, I guess what was your reasoning to want to buy on something like that? I suppose I didn't really find it. It occurred because Murray Lowry came to Broome and she ran some workshops. And then there was discussion about, well, maybe we should try and do something more permanent. And so then Murray got me involved to co-facilitate with her, which was great. She, more for the stage work for plays and myself for screen and it's just been really wonderful seeing so many people come through the program and develop their skills and actually put their pen to screen where what they've been writing has occurred on screen or occurred on stage so it's just wonderful seeing that growth. There's been quite a number of television programs produced from the writers program. There's also been two plays produced. There's been many public readings of people's performance writing. And there's also been a story published in a book. We have kicked goals in the Galari Writers Program. And whilst Mari and I co-facilitate the group, it's all of us within that group that provide support and the nurturing that's needed. While Mari and I sort of like crack the whip on the tools that are necessary to be a writer. It's definitely so true. There's so much talent in that room. You know, even someone like Scotty Wilson, he's just created that Indigiverse, so the first proper First Nations superhero comic book series. So that was just down at Supernova in Perth, which is really amazing. Scotty, though, was developing that before he came into the room. Yeah, wow. And so all we can say is that we hope that we have been able to as a collective, help to strengthen his work and help to inform his work a bit more. And if we haven't done that, at the very least, we've supported him to go on to doing this and to create more greatness in superheroes. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we're basically getting to the point where nearly everyone in that group has created a book, so we should buy a copy of everyone's thing and get them to sign it for a little library. <laughs> As well, you know, like Gary, he's had so many projects come through from there as well, like Marie Pickerham as well, she's had a lot of work 
come out as well and I felt very supported myself. We're working on Yokai at the moment. So yeah, it's been pretty amazing just to have people like yourself and Mari in there who provide that market experience as well to hone in the big ideas because that's the fun part is, you know, we can all pitch and see what sticks, but then you've actually got to sit down and be like, oh, hang on, where does this actually fit in the market? Who might want this? Things like that. So yeah, it's fun to play pretend, but then you got to try and apply it to the real world as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or otherwise, you know, it sort of stays in the bottom of your filing cabinet. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Or in my final draft and just sits there for a while. <laughs> yeah, I guess to finish things off there what is a message you'd like to leave behind i guess for future first nations creatives believe in yourself i think people just need to believe in themselves you know when i first started i didn't really believe in myself i thought i was a decent manager a decent administrator someone that could support other creatives but i never really thought that i had a creative bone in my body and what ended up occurring is I gathered the tools within my toolbox as I practiced and practiced and wrote and wrote. Your skills improve and it's a case of believing in yourself and just keep pushing and pushing and keep pushing that story out because if it's worth something to you, it's worth something to everyone else. Yeah, that's it. It's really important to push that because it's a bit bigger in First Nations communities as well, just that feeling of shame and not wanting to give things a go. But I love what one bloke, I think he used to be in charge of Screen Queensland, he always says, don't be shame, be game. And just constantly put yourself out there because you know you will get rejected constantly, but one person will say yes eventually. And also you need to be flexible as well and be able to take on feedback to realize, okay, hang on, this isn't working, why? And continue from there. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to build a thick skin. And yes, there are some things in your story that are worth fighting for, but you've got to pick your fights, so to speak, in your story and work out what's worth fighting for and what's okay to let go. Because when people give you feedback, they have good intentions, but also there's people that are giving feedback because they can't quite see the story fitting either the broadcast outlet or the platform, or there's inconsistencies, or there's problems within the story, or it's just too big for the budget that you've got. So it's about being realistic and it's about trying to take on the feedback and adapting and shifting and changing, but make sure that what you change it to, you're happy with. Because there's nothing worse than sitting back in a theatre going and cringing at certain aspects of what's on screen going, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or, but yeah. That happens too. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the final episode of Noongar Wellbeing with me, Brooke Collard, and my guest, Dot West. You can find more episodes at sbs.com.au slash Wellbeing or follow the series and podcast apps like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the SBS radio app. Brutal one. <laughs>